Who can the British thank for saving William Shakespeare's home? <laughs> and what famous website comes up today if you type relentless.com into your browser? Hmm. Answers to those and other questions relentlessly coming your way <laughs> here on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with some good trivia. All right, Marcia, who can the British thank for saving William Shakespeare's home? His mother. His mother, no. <laughs> Not his father. No generations I, oh, afterwards, either. Just saying. Okay. Who, Bob? It's a very unlikely person. Yeah. Is it a celebrity? Somebody else who is a showman. In England? Well, he was in England for visit. I don't know, Bob. It was American P.T. Barnum. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. In 1844, the famous American circus showman toured the rather run-down house, and he got an idea. He even wrote about it in his autobiography. While visiting the house in which Shakespeare was born, I considered the idea of purchasing, removing, and re-erecting that building in New York City. So he was going to take it apart. And bring it, huh? Yeah. Wow. And he dispatched an agent to Stratford armed with cash and <laughs> powers to buy Shakespeare's home. He was so showy. But before his check arrived, some English gentlemen got wind of the transaction and bought the house. So who stepped in and bought it instead? Tell me, Bob. A group of people, including... Charles Dickens. Oh, really? They've been trying to fix that house, but nothing had happened over the years. And uh -huh. when this happened, that horrified the British. Benefits began, and Charles Dickens got into the act, staging an amateur production of Shakespeare's plays to raise money. And yes. they banded together to buy it and make it a national monument. Well, you know, it's so hard sometimes to uh, know the obvious, which is this is going to be a, a place that people want to see and visit. And, well, uh, they've been uh, like known for 200 years. Why wouldn't they have that, preserved it? I know. It's hard to believe. All right. Now, why was it a good thing the house wasn't ever shipped to New York? What happened in 1868? It fell apart. No, P.T. Barnum's museum burned to the ground oh, in New York right. City. So you can thank P.T. Barnum and Charles Dickens huh? for saving Shakespeare's okay, home. Okay, I'll give him a call later. Okay, Bob, <laughs> what famous website comes up today if you type relentless.com? Relentless.com. Comes up in your browser. The word relentless. Yeah. Hmm, let me think. Let me get my phone. No, 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 I don't want to cheat. I'll come to you and say, what's the well, answer, Well, it's a Marcia? very popular website. Just guess off the top of your pretty little head. Relentless. Something that's moving constantly, moving forward. Uh, would it be Google? No. No. Would it be but, Facebook? I don't know. What would yeah. it be? Amazon.com. Oh, no kidding. Jeff Bezos wanted to originally call his bookstore website Relentless.com. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they talked him out of it. And it was a bookstore online originally. Right, it yeah. was a bookstore. And he must have bought that website for all of time because you can still reach Amazon by typing in Relentless.com. Relentless I did not know that. No, no. Well, most popular brands don't uh, start out with the same name. They start out with funny little different names. I'm going to give you original names and you tell me the brand name. Okay. 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 Blue Ribbon Sports. That is the name for um, 
Nike. Correct. Nike. That was the name of the company that sold the shoes originally. That's exactly right. Okay. Unadulterated food products. (laughs) That was the name. Unadulterated food products. Yeah. Is this Subway? No. Is it Chipotle? No. Okay, what is it? Snapple. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) Unadulterated food products. Uh, Yeah, that's got quite a ring to it, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. Okay, Bob, this is just kind of icky. This original product was called Wonder Jelly. (laughs) Wonder Jelly? Oh, that was Vaseline, wasn't that its original name? good. You got a couple of them. So, yeah, good for you. Okay, I've got a question about a famous brand. What famous food sauce was developed by two scientists who threw it away at first because it tasted so bad, but they discovered later it's tasted matured? Uh, It's a sauce. It's a sauce, a secret sauce. That's all I don't know. Worcestershire. Oh, yeah. You An would. Englishman, Lord Sandys, brought the recipe for that sauce with him after he was in Bengal, India, and he asked two chemists, John Lay and William Perrins, you've heard those names, Lay and Perrins, that's uh-huh. the name yeah, of the manufacturers. that's the one we have. To make that for him. They did, but they found it was so distasteful, they stored jars of it away and forgot about it for a time. And then later they found the sauce in their cellars and tasted it again. Its taste had matured. Anyway, two chemists put it together. Worcestershire. I got another food question or drink question. Okay. Why did the first sales of tea in Britain outrage British ministers and writers? Now, we're talking way, way back in the 1600s. But the first sales of tea outraged English ministers and writers. Well, was it because there was a tax on it? No. No. It uh, Was it because, um, I have no idea. Because there was a popular myth at the time that tea was an aphrodisiac, ah. that it helped people's sex lives. Ah. <laughs> Never thought of that. No. And the ministers and writers railed against tea as inimical to health, morals, and public order. <laughs> inimical. Yeah, people not only brewed tea because they thought it helped them with sex, they ate the leaves on bread and <laughs> butter. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Tea was first introduced in Britain around 1652 by the Dutch, who'd been importing tea from China since 1610. Wow. That would make you eat, yeah, I'll eat it as every every meal. (laughs) I'll put some leaves of tea in my food. Well, here's here's a disparate to some. What do Jiffy peanut butter and the phrase, Luke, I am your father, have in common. What, really? <laughs> yeah. Jiffy Peanut Butter and Darth Vader have something in common? The phrase, Luke, I am your father. What do those two things have in common? I think it's hard to say that if you have peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, that's, it that's, just doesn't work. That's an excellent Only deduction. it has to be. Uh, 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 uh. Is that it? <laughs> no, but I love that. Love the answer. I like it better than mine. Okay. These are both examples of what has come to be known as the Mandela Effect in which collective groups share a highly specific yet completely false memory. Uh, the phenomena can pop up in the most unexpected places. So let me just say this. There is no Jiffy peanut butter. What do you mean? That's right. We, we What kind of peanut butter do we eat? What do you mean there is no Jiffy peanut butter? There isn't. See? Oh, it's Jif peanut That's butter. That's right. There is no Jiffy. Oh, and Luke, I am your father is not the actual line from the right, film. Right, What was the line in the film? It is, no, I am your father. Okay. <laughs> but it, and So it's, it's essentially false memory. Yeah. And why is it called the Mandela effect? Because Nelson Mandela 
a lot of people thought he died in prison in the 1980s. Oh. And he didn't. But it was a collective memory that he did. And it became so predominant, yeah. it became known as the Mandela, Mandela effect. effect. So yeah. these are all memes we would call them today. Today, yeah. Luke, I am yeah. your father, and Jiffy Peanut Butter. They're not exactly correct. Yeah, there's no hyphen in Kit Kat bars, and there's no uh, cup noodles. It's cup noodles. It's cup noodles? Yeah. Well, that now, changes everything. It does. And fruit <laughs> and fruit Loops, Bob. How do you spell fruit? Oh, it's not F-R-U-I-T. No. It's F-R-O-O-T. Correct. Uh, it's a trade name. Yeah, those are all Mandela effects. You just assume it's... Correct, but you're wrong. But you're wrong. You are wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> okay. Jiffy peanut butter. I love the look on your face. What do you mean there's no Jiffy peanut butter? Yeah, really. You know, it, uh, people uh, think it's because it's a combination of Jiff and Skippy. So they think of Jiffy. Well, Marcia, this is related to food. Okay. The community of Derry Church, Pennsylvania. Ever heard of that? <laughs> no. That disappeared from the maps in 1906. Sounds mysterious, doesn't it? It does. And what happened to what Derry happened? Church, Pennsylvania? Uh, what happened to it, and what does it have to do with food? <laughs> what is that thing you have where you're allergic to dairy? No, it's nope. D-E-R-R-Y, Dairy Church, oh, Pennsylvania. Okay, I don't know. Why did they change their name? I, because and people thought And what does it, it have to do with food? Well, I don't know. Because they changed their name to Hershey, Pennsylvania, <laughs> <laughs> named after Milton Snavely Hershey, the founder of the famous chocolate oh. company. He wanted to build a chocolate factory in the... Uh, countryside and he picked Derry Church because he oh. was born there. And Derry was D-E-R-R-Y. D-E-R-R-Y. I also was A-I-R-R-Y. And the town changed their name in 1906. Uh, he created the community where there virtually was none. He built a planned community with new homes and uh, you know, electric company stores, a school, a bank, theaters. It was a company town with a grand luxury hotel and five golf courses. I'll be darned. So Hershey, Pennsylvania is where Derry Church, Pennsylvania, once was and disappeared from the maps in 1906. Nothing mysterious about it after all. You know, we did the most common names in the world a couple of shows yeah. ago. We had uh-huh. Wang and then yeah. Smith in the English-speaking areas. Mm-hmm. What's the most common name in India? In India? Uh, Singh, Devi, Kumar, or Tawari? Kumar. Devi. Okay. Yeah, it's the sixth most common name in the world, D-E-V-I, and it's from Sanskrit. It means goddess. More than 70 million people share that name. No, 70 million. 70 million. Holy kamoli. And Did you know India is about to surpass China in population? Wow. No, I didn't know that. Be the biggest population in the world. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, now, De Silva is the most common surname in Brazil, but where is Silva the most common? Think about Brazil, who colonized it. I don't know. The Portuguese. Oh, okay. So in Portugal, Silva is the big name. Of Silva, da Silva is the big name in Brazil. Okay. Okay, Marcia, Mueller is the most common last name in which European country? Austria, Denmark, Germany, or Bulgaria? Germany. Now you're right about that. Yeah. Mueller is more common than Weber or Weber, Meyer, Fisher, Schneider, or Schmidt. I knew three Mueller's. It, uh, it's analogous to Miller in English. Okay. means the same thing. Somebody who runs a mill. Uh, okay. In which country is Kim the most common last name? Iran, South Korea, Mongolia, or Japan? South Korea. You're right. You're right. It's actually the most common name in the Korean peninsula. 
Nearly a quarter of the Korean Peninsula's population shares that name. It comes from the Chinese character meaning gold or metal. That's where Kim comes from. Okay. It's the 25th most common name in the world. I'm a rock star. You are a rock star. Very good, Marcia. <laughs> Thank you. You're so smart. <laughs> That's why I married you. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's exactly why. It was. Uh-huh. I thought it was because I was funny. Okay, Bob, let's get serious. Mm-hmm. How fast can a turkey run? Turkey trot. How fast can the turkey <laughs> how, trot? How fast can they trot? Well, you know, I know that turkeys can run fast because when I was a kid, I used to ride my bike out into the countryside and there was this turkey farm. Really? And these turkeys would get excited and they'd run right up to the fence and almost smash into the fence. So I bet they can go 30 miles an hour. Sort of like me when you drive by. I get, <laughs> you get excited and flap your wings. Right. I yeah. flap my little wings. No, it's not 30, but it's 18 miles per hour. Well, so. that's, that's so not. They can trot, but in flight, they go 50 miles an hour. Wow. So that's pretty uh, pretty fast, right? Yeah. So, okay, so that was kind of quick. So I have another one for you. This is hot off the pages from the Dead Tree newspaper okay. <laughs> this morning. Okay. 100 million year old dinosaur prints were just found recently. Where? In China. Oh, you read the story. Yes. I didn't think you saw my paper. Okay. I saw that. <laughs> Where were they? They were in a, a backyard or something, a garden of some place. They found these. It was an outdoor restaurant patio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Footprints of two sauropods, the largest of all dinosaurs, were found along several stones in the courtyard of the restaurant. And, you know, uh, paleontologists showed up and started inspecting it. Apparently, it's been covered by layers and layers of dirt for uh, quite a few years. Yes, several million yes, years. Yes, and it goes uh, before it was a restaurant. That whole area was farmland, and it was covered. Anyway, so the sauropod is considered... Uh, the largest animal to ever walk the earth. Wow. Isn't that something? A sauropod. Sauropod. I'm sorry. Sauropod. Sauropod. Something you would buy today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't have an iPad. I have a sauropod. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, the average size is about three school buses long. So wow. It's, it's a, it's it was a decent sized uh, animal. Well, this particular one was only 26 feet long. I bet if a turkey saw that, it would go faster than 18 <laughs> miles per hour. <laughs> what the hell is that coming down the road? Huh? Okay, let's, let's take a break. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. What the hell is that? <laughs> Woo-wee! <laughs> We're back now, and you're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith, a podcast of trivia we do every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, heard all over the world. <laughs> Amazingly, it is. So, That's true. Thanks to our podcast platforms. Say, uh, speaking of somebody heard all over the world, Elvis Presley, of course, is uh, a resurgence and interest in him with the new movie, Elvis. So I have a question for you, a trivia question you may never have heard before. Okay. How was a man named Bernard Lansky instrumental in Elvis Presley's success? Bernard Lansky of Memphis. Of Memphis. Did he play in the band? No. Did he run a clothing store? Yes. Oh, yes, that's it. Is it? Yeah. Yes, I bet he ran He ran that store. There was a store in downtown Memphis that 
It was um, on Beale Street, catered primarily to black musicians and people. African-Americans yes. would buy their snazzy clothes there, and so did Elvis. That's right. Bernard Lansky was a, he was a Jewish tailor, and he ran this shop. He actually started it as an army surplus store, but then decided to go into higher-end fashion. Uh-huh. And in 1952, when the owner, Bernard Lansky, saw this young, skinny kid there who stood out on the street, he realized that that's an area where primarily African-Americans were. Uh-huh. So he thought, well, he's kind of out of place. The guy who runs it now is Hal Lansky, his son. He said, my dad knew that this shy kid was out of place. He'd just stare and stare and stare at the window. <laughs> so one day he invited him in. He said, come on in, young man. Oh. And my father showed him around, and Elvis could only afford what? How, how much money did he have that he could spend? Uh, five bucks. Three dollars. Uh. Three dollars. He said, Mr. Lansky, these are beautiful things. I like everything, but I don't have no money now. But when I get rich, I'll buy you out. And his dad said, don't buy me out. Just buy from me. Yeah. And that started a friendship that lasted for 36 oh, no years. The Lansky shop is featured in the biopic in Elvis. And guess what? The director and the star came to the store to research while preparing for the film. That is so cool. The, the gentleman who ran the store, he passed away in 2012 at age 85. And, and his son and granddaughter run it now. Hal Lansky. Hal Lansky and his daughter run the place, and they're keeping it alive. And just a couple of funny stories that came out of here. Elvis came back, and for his high school prom, he splurged on black pants, a pink coat with a pink and black cummerbund. He loved pink. He did. And they said every time Elvis got paid, he'd come in maybe once a week and buy a pair of pants or a jacket, something simple. He just kept coming and coming and coming. And then one day he said, Mr. Lansky, I'm going to be on a national TV show. Oh, what should I wear? And his dad said, well, that's great, Elvis. What's going to be? He said, the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh, I bet you you almost fell (laughs) over. My dad said, whoa. (laughs) So uh, Elvis looked at him and said, Mr. Lansky, I got a problem. I don't have much money still. He said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some credit. You better pay me back. Uh-huh. And so he watched him on TV, tuned in, and he couldn't believe what, what the kid did with the flashy threads. Yeah. And they said they'd like to take credit for the black and pink look he wore. So he kept shopping there. They had to open the store at night so he could shop because he got because, so famous. You oh, know? isn't that something? I and, love that. And the guy that runs it now, Hal, he says, I was a delivery boy. I used to go to Graceland and deliver all these oh, things. Did, and do they have a sign up there, home of uh, Elvis Presley? They have a sign up there that says, Come on in, young man. And, oh. and and they have a list of all the other celebrities that have really? bought there. Oh, that makes me weepy. Okay. The, the favorite story his father loved telling was when Presley first sold a million records. He came in. They gave Elvis a Messerschmitt, which is a three-wheeled German car. And Elvis brought over the car to the show to show my dad. And he said, Mr. Lansky, look at this car. My dad said, Elvis, when you're finished with that car, I want it. Well, a couple of months later, Elvis traded in the car for a two and a half hour shopping spree in our store. Oh my God, you're kidding. He remained loyal to the end. Wow. And then when Elvis died, they got a call from the family and he dressed Elvis. Oh, for the funeral? White suit and blue tie. So he says, I put him in his first suit and I put him in his last suit. So he said, as far as how Lansky's concerned, Elvis has never left the building. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, Bob. Mm-hmm. So, Bob, how did we get the name for the weekday, Thursday? Hmm, I know some of the other days. I know, that's why Thursday. I picked Thursday. Thursday blurs day. I, <laughs> I never, you think it's Wednesday? No, it's Friday. No, it is it's Thursday. Thursday. I don't know. How did Thursday come about? Well, 
It's named after a famous Norse god who carries a big hammer. We've seen him in the movies. Thor. Thor. So it was it. Thor's day originally. That's right. The, I'll be darned. The popular Norse god. Now, uh, every Thursday, now I'm going to think of what's his name with the big hammer. It's Thor's day. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice mispronunciation of it, it is, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's Thor's day. Okay. So one more. Right. Where, where does Monday come from? It comes from Sunday night. That's when it comes <laughs> that's from. That's uh, right. No, you'll get this where if does you think Monday about it. Come think from? about it. Monday, Monday, Monday. Is it Moon Day, Lundy? That's it. Okay. All right. Formally spelled Monadi. Monadi, how do you spell it? M O N E D A E I. Okay. Which comes from the old English words moondog, and its old English spellings literally mean moon's day. So it's hmm. traditionally considered the second day of the week rather than the first because Sunday is considered the first day. And it links back to our Nordic friends. Thor and his buddies. <laughs> who reserve the second day of the week for worshiping Mani, M-A-N-I, which meant moon. The name Mona is also part of the tradition. You know, there's that Disney movie called Mona. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. But it's the old English word for moon. And girls born on a Monday in ancient Britain were sometimes given that name as a result. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. That's very interesting. Okay. How did it get to the Polynesians? That's my question. The, Bob, Mona, I, the movie Mona, that's Polynesian, isn't it, about this? I think so, Bob. I don't have that answer. <sighs> Look it up. <laughs> Go to relentless.com. <laughs> okay. Okay, how are pink lemonade and underwear related, Marcia? Well, you know, this is a very, very important question. Well, pink underwear is a thing. Yeah. FDR liked it. No, not FDR. Winston Churchill. 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 <laughs> Sorry, FDR. Yes, it was definitely Winston. Um, pink underwear. So, don't know. It's a strange story. Do you have time? The connection was made back in 1857 when Pink Conklin... A what? lemonade vendor with the Maybe Circus found himself pouring his lemonade mixture into a glass. Because lemons were expensive, he made his lemonade artificially with tartaric acid and sugar. One hot day, he didn't have such a brisk business. He ran out of lemonade. He ran into a nearby tent, picked up a bucket of water, stirred in some tartaric acid. He poured the first glass, and it was pink. And instead of stopping, he started shouting, Try the new strawberry lemonade! It became a hit. Why was it pink? A circus performer's red tights had been soaking in that bucket oh, of water. No. Oh, my God. And people bought it and drank it? Yes. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> So pink lemonade started in a circus wow. because somebody's Leotard. tights were soaking. Oh. And later they, they used other ingredients. Oh, but my God. That's where pink lemonade well, began. that is disgusting. <laughs> Thank not. you for that, Bob. I like that. <laughs> it doesn't make you want to taste pink lemonade no, anymore, does I it? No, and I like pink lemonade. Well, not anymore. I <laughs> That's gone. That's over. Uh, sorry to bring that story to you, Marsh. Okay. Ready, Bob? Yeah. Only one member of this popular band performed in the recording of its own theme song. Name this band. Oh, is the Monkees? Oh, good for... Uh, well, for God's sakes. How do you know these things? Well, because I knew that they, uh, the studio musicians they used, which was the Wrecking Crew, that was the producer, said, ah, these, you guys are okay, but we're going to have real musicians yeah. on this. So but, I think only... Was it Mickey Dolenz was is, the only one? Dolenz. Dolenz. D-O-L-A-N-Z. He was actually a professional musician, too, yeah, at the time. A yeah. drummer, right? Yeah. And actually, they, they hadn't even hired the rest of the band at the point of recording hey hey we're the monkeys oh no kidding yeah so they weren't even around to record it i have a, a question for you did you know mickey dolans was in a tv show when we were very small children in the 1950s 
It was blank boy, something boy. Do you know what the show was? No. Circus boy. Circus boy. Circus boy. Was he like a little monkey? He or was something? a little guy, a little... and he was in a circus, and oh. he was. It was on American television when we were kids. I never heard of it. Did yeah. you? Oh yeah, I remember watching it. I never he, heard of it because when I saw the monkeys, I thought he looked like he does look like he did when he was a kid. He has a very distinctive face. Okay, ready? Yeah. Okay, why can't you use your thumb, Bob, to check a heartbeat? Why can't I use my thumb to check a heartbeat? Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah, of course you haven't. It doesn't have the same nerve structure as a finger does? No, it has something that none of the fingers have. What? It has its own heartbeat. You're kidding. No, yeah. So it, it would screw everything up if you used your, you couldn't do it. it it's the only digit with a heartbeat. That's unusual, isn't it? So yes. it has a pulse, yes. but your finger doesn't have a pulse. Right. So when you're checking someone's uh, you know, pulse, be on the wrist or the neck, you uh-huh. use your usually a couple of middle fingers, right? Okay. Well, All that right. makes sense. Okay. Okay. I have a question for you. How did a camping trip lead to Yosemite becoming a national park. Now, Yosemite's been in the news lately with all the fires out there around the sequoias. How did a camping trip lead to it becoming a national park? Is this like John Muir? It is John Muir. Hey, see, I know my, he's from Wisconsin. And who did he bring there to have a camping trip? Ansel Adams? President Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, that would do it. (laughs) And guess where they (laughs) camped? They camped beneath the ancient sequoia known as the Grizzly Giant. That's oh. the one that uh, firefighters have been laboring to save oh from the major gosh. forest fire. Oh, God, I don't hope they can save those trees. Roosevelt was impressed by the tree more than 2,000 years old, more than 200 feet tall. And that grove there, that Mariposa Grove, has 500 mature trees. So shortly after the trip, he described the tree and its surrounding grove as a temple grander than any human architect could by any possibility build, and he extended federal protections for the park. Yeah, he did a great deal for that, and Mr. Muir brought him there on purpose, right? So yes. So he could experience the wonder. And that's how yeah. that became eventually yeah. a national yeah. park. That's how you got to do it. Can't just talk about it. You got to show it. What president was the first president to provide some kind of protection? for that park. Before Teddy? Before it became a park. It was just the Mariposa Grove. There was a president who signed legislation. I don't know. Abraham Lincoln. Really? Yeah. Huh. And then just recently to protect that grizzly giant, they set up a sprinkler system that pumped between 15 and 20 gallons of water per minute at the base of the tree to increase humidity in that whole area to protect that 2,000-year-old tree. Okay, you got a quote to wrap things up? I will. I've got two, actually. Okay, here's one from Henry Kissinger. Remember him? Mm-hmm. The nice thing about being a celebrity is that if you bore people, they think it's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know, that's funny because, you know, somebody who bored me when I was in college, I saw him. I wanted to see him so bad. Uh-huh. Buck, Buckminster Fuller. Uh-huh. I, I was just so bored by this thing he was doing. And it, for years, I felt bad. But Why didn't I appreciate him? It must have him? been you, but it was I think he was just boring <laughs> as a speaker. And here's a quote from another politico, okay. John F. Kennedy. All right. Show me a man who plays a good game of golf, and I'll show you a man who's neglecting something. <laughs> Something else is not getting the attention it deserves. Could be your wife. That's funny. Isn't it? I thought you'd like that Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. We want to invite you to send any questions you'd like us to pose to one another to us by going to our website, theofframp.show, and going down to contact us. And contact us. We're here. That's what I said, Marsh. Say goodbye, Bob. Well, okay. 
why, why can't we just do it the way I was going to do it? Okay, go ahead. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right, that's it for now. <laughs> Join us again next time. I'm Bob Smith. And Marsha. You've been listening to The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.